Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. Because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Matcha. So good. Matcha love. Yes, I love it. No, matcha love, the brand. Oh, yeah. Matcha love made with real Japanese matcha. It's rich, smooth, perfect for hot or cold brewing. Matcha is great because it's rich in vitamin C and EGCGs. What do you like to make with it? I like to make matcha lattes. I'm all about making smoothies. Why wouldn't you be? Get 25% off all matcha love products at ituin.com using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at I-T-O-E-N dot com. Available on Amazon and E2N dot com. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Oh, hey, Elizabeth Dutton. Zarin. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah, you know what's ridiculous? People who drive around with headlights that are blue or yellow and not white light. Okay. So That's like, ridiculous. You don't I'm- like those Mercedes headlights? No, it's usually not on a Mercedes. They're those, on... they're those really bright blue ones, or like it tends towards blue. Well, I'm not talking about the tinge of blue. I'm talking about like straight up. You've seen like the blue. Oh, you mean absolutely blue and Get absolutely yellow? Get out of here yellow. with that. Okay. The other ridiculous thing, the lights. a very lights, Oakland-based complaint. <laughs> the lights that people used to put under their car for oh, yeah, like detailing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a Ground while, effects? but that's ridiculous. Ground effect lights? Ground effects. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Those weren't ridiculous. Boom, you're ridiculous. Those are great. What are you talking about? In the drift era? <laughs> spinner. Uh... Latrell Sprewell invented spinners. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, that's well. We're, we're going to have to talk about that after the show. I but... told you, I get to decide what's cool and allowable. <laughs> we did discuss this. It's very narrow. <laughs> but I don't think that piece of paper with all the like, crayon on it that you wrote counts as a... When I go, I write, boom, not cool, on a piece of paper, and I put it <laughs> oh, under the windshield wiper. Yeah. It's a ticket from, yeah, from Special the... Inspector Elizabeth Dutton. <laughs> look well, out, look out. I'm not going to certify that one because I don't agree with it, okay. but <laughs> I'll give it to you. But I got a ridiculous one. Nothing to do with that. Uh-huh. It's about the story of the plot to steal Abraham Lincoln's well-traveled corpse. <laughs> I'm like along with you thinking it's going to be like a Nicolas Cage steal Abraham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His corpse? Yeah, as in like his body sands his animating spirit. His, his dead body. Dead, his cadaver. Oh, okay. Yeah, respect. All right. 
This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth, my Zarin. partner in crime. Zarin. What do you know about embalming? Ooh-wee. Oh, you say this like you have like actual experience. <laughs> I expect you to be like, not a damn thing. Well, first off, I don't I don't think it's a good thing. Okay. Because so I think there's a lot of toxic chemicals. You're non-pro and, embalming, got it. Right. Um, I can tell you that um, one time I was in a Paris nightclub and <laughs> I did not think that's where this was I going. <laughs> told someone in French. I used to be able to speak French for ah, real. Oui. And uh, they asked me what I did for a living, and I told them I was a taxidermist. In French? Yeah. And then it ran in my family. Just <laughs> sweet taxidermy. On the matrilineal Ist? side. My grandmother, my mother, and I all <laughs> the taxidermists. Side. The women of your family have all been just yeah. playing with dead bodies and so, making them look like art? Yeah. That's what I told it's them. It's a family tradition. Sticking to the story. So that's kind of, they don't, you know, it's like playing with bodies it's maybe not embalming per se yeah no i mean when i say playing with bodies i don't mean like you know that you're sitting them down to a tea party i just mean like you're <laughs> arranging them and you have to like brush their hair i guess not really playing is so probably like the wrong embalming word embalming adjacent would be taxidermy yeah well Whatever. it involves what... an embalming process right i mean scraping you... the guts out well i'm just gonna drop a gross one yeah scraping <laughs> the guts out the embalming you know it comes from like the fluids that they put in that causes the the veins and so and the tissue to become rigid uh-huh. right and that's like the embalming fluids job and then like taking the guts out is so nothing rots right so you if you're gonna taxidermy you got to do it and if you're embalming you got to do it so they're just part of the process of maintaining whatever flesh you want to keep right set it all on fire that's what i said that's what you say to cremate everything yeah yeah, yeah. everything no, I've never embalmed anything, but sure. I've seen a lot of embalmed. Like, you say that now. Well, I've seen a lot of taxidermied stuff. I grew up around hunters, so I've seen a lot of animals. With, like In bad taxidermy and good taxidermy, <gasps> big difference. Bad stuff's amazing. Yeah, you like that bad stuff, like with the like googly in, eyes. I love when the googly eyes are sort of mangy looking. I like anything <laughs> that's intended to be incredible and beautiful when it goes wrong. Like mm-hmm. the lady who painted over the fresco oh, the, in the, the Spanish Jesus. church. God, I love that. So <laughs> Do you know she did another one? I know. Yeah. You can't stop her. She's <laughs> she's, she's inspired. She's, yeah. So when you do like taxidermy stuff, you have to put in, as we've been discussing, basically an understructure because you're kind of stretching the fur over the animal and you're just, you know, going yeah. to create basically a paper mache version, but with fur, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. But that would taxidermy and embalming, the, the goal is a little different. With embalming, you're trying to kind of mummify the person. You want to keep them looking like the way they were, but you don't have any fur to attach, so right. you kind of have to keep the structure that is, right? Right, and That's it's only to preserve challenge. for a short period of time, really. Well, it depends. I mean, like Lennon, you, you mummified him for... Yeah, they made still, them all wax, right? Well, yeah, eventually, yeah, but I mean, like, the, the, you can you can mummify people. There's, like, certain Buddhist uh, monks. That is that they, a dare? They eat pine needles, and then they just go and meditate for a long pine time needles. eating pine needles, and the pine needles start to actually mummify them from the inside. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this also acidic water. It has, like, cyanide in it. It's up by in a spring. These are Japanese monks, and they mm-hmm. mummify themselves. It takes, like, years. But anyway, then... I enjoy that you're just walking around with that in your head. Well, they, they have, like, a young story. monk come up and check on them once they start this process uh-huh. because they, they have to be fed, right, because they can't leave where they're meditating. So the young monk goes up, and they will be, like, sequestered away, like, in a cave, right? And then they just ring the bell when the young monk comes up, and the young monk rings the bell. They ring the bell in response. And when they stop ringing the bell, they have to wait, like, you know, a month or something, and then they go down. And 
then they check. And then that's how they decided, like, oh, he has reached the full, like, whatever, wow. nirvana. Or, yeah. Samsara, whatever it is. That's ridiculous. No, it's not. That's it's a not beautiful ridiculous. Thing oh, it's really yeah, The commitment, I was always blown away. That's why it stuck with me. Anyway, yeah. this is what I know about mummification is mostly stories. Uh-huh. So I had to look it up. Elizabeth, you turned out to be in the home of the embalming when you were in that Paris nightclub. Well, maybe oh, no not way. that nightclub, but in France. Huh. Yeah. Turns out oh, this no. is dude Jean-Nicolas Ganal and J.P. Souquet, or Souquet, who are these French embalmers, and they basically take the fine art of embalming and bring it into the modern era. They okay. change it from mummification into what we think of as embalming, which is body restoration. Or yeah. Body, like, you know. Like preservation. Preservation really, is probably yeah. the best word to say. Now, back in the day, you had to, like, bury a body pretty much within three days or, like, bad fish would start to smell, right? I mean, essentially, at that point, it's meat. So you're going to have meat going bad. So this was the reason why they had to embalm them. And this starts out as a thing that they pretty much do for, like, you know, uh, the royalty, kings, queens, like, uh, also honored um, religious figures. They all get embalmed because they want to put them out to lie in state or put them on display longer than this three-day period, right? Yeah, yeah. So regular families are like, that seems fun. How do we do that? So then they go to the embalmer (laughs) and they're like, how do we get grandma to lie in state in the living room for, like, a week? We got friends and family are going to be coming from Alabama and we need some time, right? So this becomes this trend. And so people are like, you know, they got their dead relatives laid out like on the dining room table for a week. And they're like, yeah, that way everyone get a chance to see them. longer awake. Yeah, yeah. Long, because they, you know, it becomes a thing. Then this is all in the 1800s, right? Uh-huh. So in the middle of the 1800s, so the 1830s is when embalming kind of changes with those two French dudes. And then, you know, it becomes a popular trend amongst the regular families. Then the Civil War happens. Oh, Okay. Well, it's not a bummer. I mean, it is a bummer for everyone involved in the Civil War. <laughs> Civil but for, War was a for this story, the, the purposes are not a bummer. What <laughs> I mean is the Civil War changes embalming because now you have these soldiers dying states away from yeah. their family and they have to ship them on rail lines back to the families. Otherwise, they have to be, you know, kind of be buried, buried in a mass grave. Yeah, in situ. So they, uh, they start using embalming to be able to get soldiers back. It becomes like on an economy of scale, something that more and more people can do because they're doing so much at the military level that it becomes, by the end of the Civil War, a very common practice. And now all the fluids are cheap enough. Everybody has them. And people are trained to do it. And plenty of people are trained to do it. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So now at the end of the Civil War, remember what happens? Um, The credits rolled. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The North wins. No, uh, Lincoln dies. He gets assassinated on Good Friday, right? Yep, I've heard about that. Yeah, so there's the assassination of Abraham Lincoln by the coward John Wilkes Booth. (laughs) Now, he, uh, Booth, was like, you know, this big Southern loser. Lincoln was a big American hero, right? Now... When Lincoln gets assassinated, the nation, in particular the administration, his family, you know, Mary Todd, they all have to, like, make some difficult decisions about what to do with this revered figure, and the nation's just come back together and so forth. One of the decisions that they end up having to make is, should we send Lincoln's body on a farewell tour around the country? And they're like, yeah, I love that idea. Let's do that. <laughs> let's love send, that for him. Let's send his corpse all around America. And at this time, you have to remember all, of, all around America basically means to the Midwest and back. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, let's do that. And also remember, he dies in April. Right. Springtime. Uh-huh. Humid in the Midwest, humid in the yeah. Northeast, right? So yeah. they're like, yeah, this is the perfect time to send a dead body around the country. Everyone's like, yeah, I love this. So <laughs> they get a funeral director named Charles Brown, and he gets assigned the task of traveling with the dead president. And he's supposed to be the one to make sure that the dead president, you know, looks his best everywhere that they're going to go on this multiple city tour. He likes his dead president's crispy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
want that Lincoln fresh. So Charlie Brown and this 1,600-mile trip across America are all plotted out, right? And they're going to stop in a number of cities. And at each city, his body will be taken from the train, propped up somewhere in town, and in some place of honor, you know, like a rotunda or in the city hall or whatever. And uh, everyone will then be able to go up and pay their final respects. And the president will be propped up and, you know, out on display for anywhere between a few hours in some cities to up to 24 hours. So it's like the hall of Disney Hall of Presidents. Yeah, but... exactly. Just more wow. or less animated. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, another fun fact. This is 1865. Mm-hmm. Modern refrigeration is yet to be invented. Yeah. So exactly. we have no way to keep this dead body cool other than... Fanning it. <laughs> keeping buckets <laughs> of ice around, <laughs> blow the cold air on them. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know yeah. it was a huge deal for people to see this, I bet. Oh, like, completely. But... Now, on top of all this, according to the dictates of 19th century logic, they also took the son of the president, little Willie Lincoln, you know, mm-hmm. the one who died while he was in office. They yeah. dug him up and they brought him on the tour. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they thought that people would want to see little Willie too. So <laughs> little I'm Willie just... and the president are sent on this like no multiple one, city tour. No one said, no, hold on, hold on. Nope. Guys, guys, guys. No, you know, nope. Mary Todd Lincoln was like busy doing seances at this point, trying to like contact him. So she's like not worried about the body. She's like, I'm on to the other side. Oh my God. Anyway, yeah. So everyone's like, Really into this. There's dignitaries. Well, here, I want you to picture it. Oh, yes. We're at the start of this rolling tour of the dead president and his equally dead son. It's April 21st, 1865. Picture a nine-car train idling at a station in Washington, D.C. A large crowd is gathered, big, voluminous crowd, and they're all there to see the dead president one last time. And you know, they've seen him around Washington, D.C. It's not so special for him, but because he's dead, it's very special. They want to say goodbye to their beloved leader. They give him this tremendous send-off. And on the front of this locomotive, there is a cow catcher, as there would be yeah. for most trains at that time, and there's a portrait of Abraham Lincoln attached to the cow catcher, pressing through America. So that's right? the last thing the cow will see. <laughs> before it gets cleared from the earth. So there's a military band playing for the gathered dignitaries and all the Lincoln fans and stands and so forth. The train pulls away from the station. Can you hear it? The engine chugs. The whistle sounds. The dead president is off to see America. And, or I guess, to be seen by America. (laughs) Now, their first stop is Baltimore. This is on a Friday, right? There's rain coming in the forecast, dark clouds overhead. The president's on his way into town. Starting at dawn in the town, the cannons begin firing off. And they continue to fire until the sun goes down. So all day long, just imagine cannon fire in the background. God, it's got to be so moving to, as much as I'm thinking this is a totally bizarre little show of theirs. Yes. Yeah, the cannon fire. And also remember, this is in the... Like the wake of war. Right, so, right. Exactly. Okay, so the boom of cannons heard all throughout the day. Meanwhile, the streets are filled with people because the local trolleys have stopped running, schools are closed, most businesses, almost every single business is closed, and everybody is out in the street. Funeral train arrives in Baltimore, 10 a.m. at the Camden Station. Now, we have, like, documentation of this from the Baltimore Sun, and I quote. Yes, the whole funeral train, engine, and cars were handsomely decorated with the national ensign and insignia of woe. And for elegance, comfort, unity, and completeness was pronounced by the railroad men from other lines who observed it to be the most perfect, perhaps that it has yet been made up in the railway history of the country. 
Wow. So this thing is just total finery decked out. You know, oh, yeah. Looking clean, right? Yeah. Now, more cannons are firing as the coffin is like loaded off of the train and placed on the hearse. There's multiple generals, dignitaries, everything, military regiments from various armed services from around the country, various states are in attendance. Military band is solemnly marching with this funeral procession, right? Now, the hearse is being drawn by four jet black horses. Mm -hmm. Behind the hearse is a trail of senators and congressmen and generals and judges and Illinois state senators, right? The president's body reaches at the end of this parade. He's brought into a rotunda where the open casket is placed out on display for all the people. Now, the people are allowed to come in and pay their respects. He's up, like, high enough that they can't, like, touch him, right? He's, like, right. 11 feet up in the air, but they can see him really close, right? Uh -huh. Now, the military has to hold back the crowd because they're rushing to get in. And I, once again, will return to the Baltimore Sun. Yes. You ready? Women and children were jammed in, unable to get from the crowd, and several persons were more or less injured in this way, but happily, none were seriously hurt. At one time, as the crowd surged to and fro, the scene was almost indescribable. Women fainted and were borne from the crowd. Children were crying, and everything tended to cause alarm. But the military guard and the police succeeded in preserving order, although in doing so, there were several instances of slight injury from the bayonets of the soldiers. <laughs> oh, God. You gotta, you gotta go down to see the president, and you get bayoneted by a soldier like, who's got PTSD and looking the, all crazy at you. Like, in the funeral get back, get mosh back. pit. Like, yeah, like, like. So you, you kind of picture this scene, right? And just like, I also love like how like the press back then downplays getting bayoneted by the U.S. Army. They're like, it's just a couple just bayonet a wounds. Incidental little nick that you get when they're walking around with a sword hanging <laughs> off a gun. <laughs> exactly, a couple stabbings, but everyone got to see they the just president got poked with a with a gun sword. But that's cool. Now, Elizabeth, are you ready for an up close view of the president's no. dead body? No, well, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Okay. So once again, Baltimore Sun comes to us with a description of the embalmed president and what it looked like to see him in his open casket presentation, right? And I quote, The countenance still preserved the expression that it bore in life, though changed in hue, the lips firmly set but half-smiling, and the whole face still indicating the energy and humor which characterized the living man. The beard was close-shaven, save a tuft on the chin. There is now no blood in the body. It was drained by the jugular vein and sacredly preserved. And through a cutting on the inside of the thigh, the empty blood vessels were charged with a chemical preparation which soon hardened to the consistency of stone. The long and bony body is now hard and stiff, so that beyond its present position it cannot be moved any more than the arms or legs of a statue. It has undergone many changes. The scalp has been removed, the brain scooped out, the chest opened and veins emptied. All that we see of Abraham Lincoln so cunningly contemplated in his splendid coffin is a mere shell, an effigy, a sculpture. He lies in sleep, but it is the sleep of marble. All that made this flesh vital, sentient, and affectionate is gone forever. Wow. Right? That's incredible. I love old newspapers. I got to yeah. admit, I read them, I'm like, man, look at some of this writing. Yeah. The oh, sleep wow. of marble. Like that phrase. Okay. And the brain scooped out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very visceral. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so... Let's take a quick break, and we'll get back to this rolling tour and how it leads to the theft of Lincoln's body. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, so here we are. After we... Load the president's body back on the hearse, take the hearse back to the train, throw the tra- the coffin back on the train. We head off to the next city because there are multiple cities. Well, yeah, like we a- will not be hitting all of them on this tour, but... And is the big, is this going to 
is this big production going to happen at each stop? Or are there yep. one where they're just going to like nope. let people peek in the car and then drive? Every oh, single one they wow. roll out. Some of them are more impressive than others. I read the Baltimore one because it was the first, but there are other ones where they, they basically hear what some of the other cities have done. They're like, oh, we can top that. Go get us six black horses. We're going to need the governor and the mayor. So the last town on, has got a lot of pressure. Being Which the is end Chicago. The, or actually Springfield, technically. But and yeah, then, Chicago's ooh, the last man, big city. They're going to have, they got to bring it. Yes. Well, I will get to that. So after the stop in Baltimore, it's on to Harrisburg. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, Harrisburg? What? Why Harrisburg? Well, Harrisburg at the time, and it still is, the capital of Pennsylvania. So it was a respected place on the back then because everything was smaller. So they go to Harrisburg, where this whole scene gets repeated that we just told you. The train pulls into the station. It's met by dignitaries, military leaders, the whole bit, honored guests, grieving public, ever warming temperatures. <laughs> Next stop, Philadelphia. They do it again. Same thing. Now Lincoln's body's doing perfectly well these first few stops, right? Then comes Manhattan. This is where the president's body gets left out on display for 23 hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wasn't by neglect or mistake. It was just that yeah. many people who wanted to see it's him. It's the city that it's, never sleeps, baby. Exactly. You know New York's going to come with it. Yeah. So they're like, they, you know, anyway. Are, <clears> the, he did are, get the joints, are the joints getting a little loose at this point? Well, okay, we're going to get okay. into that. I'm going to give you all the gross-out details. <laughs> yes. You know I love the gross-outs. So after New York, the ghoul tour, it rolls on undaunted. Next stop, Buffalo. Always a fun stop on any tour. Yeah. From there, Abe Lincoln, rolling corpse tour travels to the Midwest. It goes to Cleveland, Columbus, then on to Indianapolis. Each city doing the same fanfare. People going, oh my goodness, going out there. You have to also remember, a lot of these people are formerly enslaved people who they're now seeing the great emancipators. Yeah. So you have a large contingent of black people going out to see the president and mixing with some people who are not so keen on the fact that they are out coming in to respect mm-hmm. the president. So there's also mm-hmm. all sorts of tensions in this crowd as well. Sure. So... On May 1st, Abraham Lincoln's corpse arrives in Chicago, where it remains on display for two days. 48 hours. Yep, back to back, right? Like, okay. Now, the face at this point is pretty much just being held together oh, with makeup no. and some embalmer's <laughs> tricks. Like, so they eventually get him back on the train. None of the parts <laughs> fall off. And they put him on the train headed to Springfield, which is, you know, just going down south. On May 5th, Lincoln is finally allowed to rest. He is buried in the Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, Illinois. Wow. Now, to recap, Lincoln's body has been on this train tour that lasted from April 21st to May 3rd. That's 13 days. That's like a fortnight of fun with a dead body. (laughs) It's really surprising to me that in this story I kept reading, nothing ever went wrong with the body. No parts fell off. They kept worrying about it. And there's weird descriptions where you get from different cities where he starts getting more wan, a little darker. They have to put more makeup on. It gets a little bit bit more, yeah, like Crip Keeper-y as it goes on. Doesn't that feel disrespectful to him? You know, like they're doing this to pay their respects, but it feels really disrespectful. It's a sign of respect because they're trying to give everybody a chance to see the body of this great man. So they're not thinking of it as him, thinking about what this means to people, because they're projecting onto the body. They're not really seeing the body. But those who do see the body and write about it dispassionately, like some of the journalists, Mm -hmm. the New York Times... Oh boy, do they savage. And that was like the third stop. So, why didn't they just do like a wax dummy? Well, you can't do all the fanfare for the wax sure dummy. You can, if well, I, I mean, say you... so. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I got a question for you, Elizabeth. Yeah. If you had to embalm a president, which one would you pick? <laughs> God. Um, I don't know. Dennis Haysbert from 24. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it the only president I can think of in my head? Oh, I like that. That's like when you like, you know, you have a concussion or some kind of head wound and they ask you what the day is, who the president is. Yeah. You're like, Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> 
ma'am, you're going to need to come with us. <laughs> okay, so now the Lincoln is both dead and buried. Let's get to the plot to steal his body. Yes. Okay. Now, apparently, I learned all this. The 19th century, grave robbing was a big deal. Oh, totally. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know this. So apparently, you had to put out a century. Like, if you had a, a funeral, right? So you have, like, Grandpa laid out on the dining room table for a couple of days. Then you go and bury him. Someone has to sit out there for, like, two, three weeks all the time to make sure he's not dug up and they take him to like a med school. Oh yeah, they want to, the grave robbers want to grab a freshie. Yeah, I didn't know. This is wild. I was like, are you kidding me? Dating back between Leonardo da Vinci and like basically the death of Abraham Lincoln is just consistent grave robbing. Oh yeah, yeah. Blew my mind. Anyway, so Lincoln's body stays valuable far longer than the typical two weeks, right? Sure. Because fast forward to 1876. Oh. Yeah, that's when they go, you know what we should go do is steal Lincoln's body. No. Yeah, it's been dead for a while. It shouldn't be moving around anymore. So Lincoln's body at this point is interred in an above-ground tomb in the Oak Ridge Cemetery. His coffin is in a marble sarcophagus. Just picture a really beautiful... Yeah. Okay. Now, there's no cemetery attendant. There's no guard for the president. There's no groundskeeper. Nothing. They don't even have a junkyard dog on this. <laughs> Oh, my God. They just have an attendant for the whole cemetery, just like this one dude who's, like, in charge of the cemetery. So the only thing that's standing in the way of, like, someone stealing Lincoln's body is, uh, like, a, a padlock on the door of the crypt. I need to revisit the idea of a junkyard dog at a cemetery. <laughs> Why it's is that? A, it's just an amazing image. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it It'd be the perfect thing? But, like, someone wants to go. I guess that there is a problem of peeing on the gravestones. Well, there's, well yeah, there's that. But also <laughs> I'm just imagining leg. that, like, someone is trying to be, like, super dramatic, all dressed in black at night. Being all gothic and yeah, swooning in the Yeah, long black veil style, and they mm-hmm. want to go bring flowers to a grave, and then they just get set <laughs> upon by, by a junkyard dog. Okay, <laughs> maybe really... my idea has certain holes in it, all right? <laughs> we just I don't know how out. you run graveyards. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. Anyway, they don't have anybody, not even a junkyard dog. So. Just a padlock, you said. <laughs> just the padlock. Okay. Enter an Irish street gang. Oh, guys. What? <laughs> small-time crime boss, Big Jim Keneally. Small-time Big Jim? Yeah, Big Jim. Big Jim, small-time. <laughs> he was a St. Louis regular. He once used to own a livery stable, and mm-hmm. which is like, if you don't know, it's like a, running a parking garage or a car park for, for our international horses. listeners, but for horses. So people would, you know, show up in town. They'd go, hey, can I park my, my horse here? And he's like, yeah, I need to feed them and tend to their shoes and whatever. He got apparently tired of the smell of horse manure because he's like, I need to get into some other crime. So I need to stop just like, you know, conning these people who are new to town and really get into some moving like future-based crime. So he's like, how about counterfeiting? Okay. Counterfeiting was the deal for him. He's like, hmm, I'm pretty good at this. He gets busted early on, but he's like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to learn from that. I'm not going to touch it anymore. I'm not going to try to pass it. I'm going to wholesale it. Yeah. So he goes out and he's like, you know what? I'm moving big, long dollars. And you have to understand, I didn't know this at the time. In the 19th century, states could print, print their own money. Banks could print their own money. Yeah. There's all sorts of money out in there, especially in, right after the Civil War. There's just tons of there's also Confederate money that people are trying to right. now swap out and be like, how much is this worth? They're like, oh, bro, lots, come on, I'll give you a... Lots of negotiable instruments floating around <laughs> yes, Exactly. There. there were apparently 4,000 different types of counterfeit money at the end of the Civil War. Oh, wow. 4,000 different types that they had found, like, just being wow. out there past, right? And that's of the stuff that they found. There are people like Big Jim who are passing stuff that is so good, people never catch it. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get into this dude. His, like, master artist was this dude, Ben Boyd, and that guy was so good that the U.S. Mint took away their $5 plate and replaced it because they're like, he's put out 100,000 of these. There's no way we can compete. Wow. And his stuff looks better than our stuff, so we're going to make <laughs> new plates. Wow. That's how they would know. It's like, it looked too good. They're like, this, this couldn't be one it's of ours. Sharp. It looks too pretty. Well, yeah, because the plates wear down after exactly. a while, right? Okay. So, okay, in 1865, the U.S. government is 
in a panic because they almost lost the Civil War, or at least were threatened with a real challenge of winning the Civil War because there was so much funny money out there that nearly half of the money in circulation was fake. Really? Yeah. So they decided wow. to create the Secret Service. And the Secret Service is there to find counterfeiters. That was their original mandate, was to go and find the counterfeiters and take away their f- funny money and their fake supply that is basically ruining pub- public confidence yeah. in the dollar bill. Yeah. Right? You can't have that, right? Now, the, the, as I said, Ben Boyd, he was the greatest counterfeiter at the time. In the 1870s, he was the man, right? And he's Big Jim Keneally's money machine. So the dude is just sitting there printing money wholesale, large amounts, giving it to Big Jim. Big Jim then has these people that are called pastors, and the pastors go out and just literally pass the counterfeit money into circulation, and they yeah. get regular goods and stuff and do it at whatever they will because it was free to them. So they have like a hundred and they go buy a candy bar <laughs> to break the hundred. <laughs> they usually buy something like because at this point, they're also buying like goods that are worth $90 because they made the, the money so they you know, let's say it's a hundred dollar bill to them, it's worth a dollar. Everything past that dollar is just pure profit sure, for them. Of course, so yeah, yeah. they don't mind buying a hundred dollar thing. It's basically just theft. Yeah. So they're doing that, and Jim Keneally is like loving it. He's just got this money tree named Ben Boyd, right? But Ben Boyd gets a name for himself. The U.S. Mint people know about him. Secret Service knows about him. He becomes like public enemy number one to the money people, right? So yeah. they go, "How do we get this dude?" And they catch him eventually. They bust him and his wife. So now Big Jim Keneally's up against the wall. He's like, man, what am I going to do? They took away my money tree. So he comes up with a plan. What's his plan? Steal Abraham Lincoln's body, and then I will (laughs) ransom him back to the government, and they will give me back my counterfeiter. Oh, God. Yes, that's his plan. His plan is to steal Lincoln's body and trade it for the counterfeiter. Wait, has a ransom plan ever worked? Yeah, yeah, they work all the time. What, so that someone pays a ransom and then they're never caught? Yeah, I mean, like, Colombia has a whole industry. But, like, a high-profile thing like this? I just yeah, feel you can like get away with so... a ransom. It or, like, totally when they works. have, like, it hostage just, have... negotiations and the person says, I want a helicopter and a school bus. Does yeah, that you, ever work? N- no, I mean, not since the 70s. In the 70s, the last time I can think of that where people were able to get the plane and fly to another country. Like, I can't yeah, think of that. Yeah, you can't do it now, so stop it. You just don't even try. Stop it. So... Big Jim Keneally's got his plan. I'm going to steal President Lincoln's body. I'm going to trade it for my counterfeiter, Ben Boyd. Did now, he have other ideas before he went to steal <laughs> Lincoln's body? And they were just like, oh, I don't know. That's that's that a little risky. Fun. Oh, no, that one. Yeah. He's, he's like, like, we can give him a bunch of counterfeit money as a bribe. Yeah, they're he's like, spitballing no. them. And they're like, no, you know what? Like, stealing the moon, not really going to be. <laughs> what if we trade Canada for Ben <laughs> Boyd? So they're like, okay. Big Jim Keneally's like, I'm going to need some plans. I'm going to I'm gonna need to really think about this. And he's like, okay, I'm going to need two plots. He comes up with two. First one he tries is with this other fellow counterfeiter, Ben Sheridan, barkeeper. He's like, Ben, go down to Springfield, set up a fake bar. You and the boys, they'll be the customers. Get yourself some sex workers, get some clientele going, get the whole thing like where people believe you. And then when I tell you on the day before the 4th of July, go and steal Lincoln's body. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm down, but boss. But he has to have this whole invented world yes. first. So he okay. goes down to Springfield. He sets up shop. He opens a saloon. And he does like the whole Why? thing. And his buddies are like the fake customer that he has on the other side of the bar. So he's what? paying his gang to sit there and drink all day while they wait to steal the president's How dead body. How much money did they put out into this plan 
And is that oh, eating yeah. into but the... again, remember, counterfeiters, they don't care about money. They'll sp- they will gladly <laughs> give you funny money for whatever you want. They're giving they they're washing? paying for beer deliveries with this funny money. Are they trying to wash that money through this fake bar? No, I... they're just trying to use it as money. They don't care. They're All like, right. we got an advantage over everybody who doesn't recognize this ain't real. <laughs> so the problem is is Ben Sheridan likes sex workers too much. And he goes and he's like, you know what? We need better sex workers than all these ones I have. So he goes around town to all the different brothels and he tries to draft new sex workers to bring over to his fake saloon that all he has to do is just run until he gets the signal. He's like, nope, I need better sex workers for my fake saloon. He goes and he meets this one named Bella Bruce. And Bella Bruce is apparently just so charming. He ends up getting super drunk with her as he's like trying to convince her to come work at his fake saloon. And then he's like, what? I, I got to level with you. It's not a real deal. I'm just down here to steal old Lincoln's bones. This is why you don't tell outsiders about your plans. Exactly. Now, what do you think old Bella Bruce does? Well, I'm guessing she either wants in on it or she tells somebody. She's a local. She's a sex worker with a heart of gold. She goes right to the sheriff and tells him, here's the whole plan. Yeah. So now Sheridan and his men wake up to the sheriff and the deputy standing over him going, what are you boys in town here to do? And they're like, uh, yeah, you know, you just open a business, but we probably should leave. And so they just cut town. You open this fake and, bar and we're certainly not here to, I don't know, steal a president's yeah, If anybody told you anything about stealing the president, they're a liar. It's. A, I bet it, the bar was probably like one of those, I think every Every neighborhood has a restaurant or a shop where you don't see it's clearly anyone. clearly a front. Yeah. <laughs> I love those yes, places. Like in West Hollywood, they used to have these like Russian boutiques for these like the women. And it'd be like stuff is super expensive. There's like seven things for sale and all these black <laughs> Mercedes out in front of the place. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Or like little restaurants Which KGB where. KGB Colonel's paying for this. <laughs> little restaurants you go in, they're like, sorry, we're out of food. And there's like eight guys sitting in there. <laughs> yeah, totally. like, oh, okay. So the, his first plan fails, and his men have to leave Springfield after the sheriff hassles them. Big Jim Keneally's like, ah, man, I'm about to leave St. Louis and handle this myself. So he goes to Chicago and he visits his favorite bar. It's like he's a home away from home. Is it's it the, a real bar? It's a real bar. It's a place <laughs> called The Hub. Now, this is basically a 19th century dive bar. It's the kind of place where local hoods and passers and toughs hang out. It's a great place to get a communicable disease. I love it. Right? Just a fun, fun place. And over the bar, they have a bust of Abraham Lincoln. It's kind of like the little like keepsake of the bar. Yeah. Right? Now the owner is a dude named Terrence Mullen. Right. Mm-hmm. Now this dude is 27 years at the time. His partner is a man named Jack Hughes. Now, now I don't mean Jack like Hughes. Jack Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it is Jack Hughes. Now Jack Hughes. he's a professional passer. He works for Big Jim Keneally, and uh, he's over there always drinking at the hub. So we have. Mullen, Hughes, and Big Jim Keneally. That's our core three. The three of them decide, you know, we're going to have to handle this ourselves. We're going to go down to Springfield. So they come up with this whole plan. And they're like, Big Jim's like, here's boys what we're going to do. We're going to go down there. We'll steal Lincoln. We'll put him on a wagon. We'll have horses on different relay stations. And we'll run them back up that night. And we'll get to a, like, you know, run 30 miles. There'll be horses waiting. We'll switch those horses out, attach them to the wagon, go another 30 miles. We'll do this for 200 miles till we get back to Chicago. And then once we get back to Chicago, we're going to go down to this old beer cave I know. Oh, and we're going to stash the body in there. And they're like, okay. They're like, yeah, right in the sand. And we'll mark it with these permanent, like, you know, fixtures on the land. So we'll be able to triangulate where the president is in case the tide moves the sand. They're like, I love this, Big Jim. Let's do it. Big Jim. They're doing their own little victory tour. Yeah. So he's like, I got to get Ben Boyd my money machine back. I'm going to do this, son. They're like, dude, we believe you, Big Jim. We're about this. Let's do this. And they're like, okay. Now, there was one problem, which is how do you convince the U.S. government that you have Abraham Lincoln's body if you did steal it? 
Oh, well, yeah, that's the thing is that they probably just deny Because everyone would be like, oh, I got Lincoln's body. So how do you, uh-huh. like, separate yourself from all the kooks who claim to have Lincoln? Well, I mean, they'll go and check and he's not there. Well, no, but you say, like, oh, I have him. You don't tell him where you have him. You're trying to trade. No, I know, but they'll know that he's gone. Because he's like, look, I want you to tell Ben Boyd he's about to be sprung. So, uh, and they're like, well, how do we know that we should, you know, prepare Ben Boyd to be released to you? And he's like, look, I've got this way of telling you. You ready? Yeah. Comes up with this ingenious plan. He buys an English newspaper, right? It's, <laughs> the, it's the Catholic Union and Times, which is a very rare newspaper in Chicago. He goes down to this one newsstand that he knows will have it. He buys this rare English newspaper. He then tears off a corner from the a piece of paper. He then gives this to his guys and says, leave this in the crypt. And he takes the rest of it, the piece that he had ripped it from, and he puts it in the bust of Lincoln, and he hides it away. And he says, this will be the authentication key. Wow. Because, of course, the cops are going to see this in the crypt. They'll think it's a clue. They'll take it. Then he'll be like, you know that piece of paper you have? Here's the other end. They're like, oh, you have Lincoln's body. Right? Pretty good. I thought that was, <laughs> A veritable know. rocket from the crypt. Yeah, really? Just, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's earning the big Jim and big Jim Keneally. Yeah. Big for brains. <laughs> so now we have to enter the Secret Service. Okay. Now, remember how the Secret Service gets formed to combat the counterfeiters and their money right. that's threatening the public's confidence? Yeah. Well, they hire a tough guy to run it, this uh, former Chicago chief of police. And his name is Elmer Washburn. Oh, that's a tough name. Yeah, Elmer Washburn, no. But he's got the gangbuster energy, like way before Elliot Ness and like the like legit Chicago, I'm going to take down the criminals kind of guy, right? And he yeah. hires his, this other dude he knows, total Dudley Do-Right type. And the guy <laughs> is Patrick Terrell, right? And he goes, you're in charge of the Chicago Bureau. I need a good man, a man I can trust who won't get, you know, corrupted by the Chicago influences because that was true in Chicago before Capone. Really? Shocking, right? Yeah. So 1876, it's October. There's Secret Service agents now they just out working everything, trying to do counterfeiting. One of them hears about this. There's this tip-off about, oh, someone's trying to steal Abraham Lincoln's body. Immediately goes to Terrell because they know that Dudley Do-Right is like the one person who this will not become, like, this will not be leaked to whoever is the yeah. corrupt people that they leak stuff from the Secret Service. So they go to him. And he's like, oh, man, this is serious. He goes to his boss. And he's like, we need to do something about this. So he's like, what, is, what should we do? And he's like, okay, I got the perfect guy. I know this guy. He's like semi-legit. We'll get him in. So he brings in Lewis see Sweagles, right? Okay. Terrell tells Sweagles, he's like, I want you to go undercover in Big Jim's gang. Sweagles is like, word? Really? Like, I mean, like, I don't know about those guys. I mean, like, I'm on the street, but like, you know, I don't know if they know me like that. And he's like, look, they're going to steal Lincoln's body. He's like, okay, I'll do it. So then he goes down to the hub and he starts like trying to win over Jack Hughes and, and Terrence Mullen. And they're like, they're real criminals, so they're super suspicious. They're not into this dude, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. They're like, hey, man, what's your story? And he's like, man, people know me on the streets. He's like telling like who he knows, dropping names. And, and he is a legitimate criminal, or he was. He's semi-legit, right? He was a pastor <laughs> at one point. And so people on the street, they know that he's worked with the Secret Service. But he keeps acting like I'm conning the Secret Service and getting legitimacy from them. People are like, oh, man, he's so smart. That Louis Swiggles, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> it sounds a lot like uh, Elliot Stabler. Yes. On Law and Order, <laughs> Juicy Booty. Juicy Booty, your favorite show. <laughs> Law and Order, what's that one called? Organized Crime. Organized Crime, yeah. Empire State Detective of Mind. Detective Juicy Booty. Now, Jack Hughes, he is not so sold on this dude. He's like, I don't know about Swiggles, man. I mean, talk is talk. So the streets, streets can be wrong. Let's go find ourselves a dirty cop. So then <laughs> they get this dirty cop they know. They take him out for drinks. Mullins and, and uh, Hughes, they go, man, they ply him with booze. And then eventually, once the guy's good and drunk, they go, hey, man, you know that dude, Swiggles? What's up with that man? He's like, oh, man, he's the biggest horse thief in the country. And they're like, 
Really? Oh. He's like, yeah, man, because he knows the guy's undercover, apparently, but he also knows he's dirty, so he just tells him the dirty stuff, and then that's good enough, and they're like, cool. They go back to him, they have, hey, Sweagles, man, uh, we got this new thing uh, that we're putting together, you know, we're going to steal, like, this dead body and ransom it. You you into it? And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, he's so, playing hard to get. Yeah, with he's them. nagging them. He just straight up <laughs> nags them, right? They're like, oh. But wait, can I just say that if they find out about this plot, why didn't they prevent it by putting a guard at the tomb? That's a very good rather question. Rather than just the chintzy padlock. I'll tell you, we we will get to that. Oh, okay. I will definitely tell you. We're we're almost there. But uh, if you want to know, it's a very complicated answer of subterfuge. I'm just using my tactician's mind. Yes, very Elliot Stabler trained mind you got over there. <laughs> like, if I'm undercover, I just want to know. So a week later, their plan hasn't been leaked. So now they're like, oh, we can trust Sweagles, right? And they're like, so they go back to him. They're like, hey, man, Sweagles, remember that thing we told you last week? You want to get in on this? He's like... I thought about it. Yeah, so let's get that bread. So they're like, okay, man, about it. So they take him to go meet Big Jim. So now he's totally like sealed up in the deal. And so what does he do? He's like, hey, man, nice to meet you, Big Jim. He gets all locked up and everything. So then he goes and he has to contact his Chicago bureau chief, Terrell, to tell him how well things are going. But he can't just go right to him. So he goes to his lawyer, the lawyer that he used for all of his previous criminal contacts, because he had like, you know, cases against him. And he goes to him, he's like, dude, get this message to dude at the courthouse. Dude goes down to the courthouse, gets him the message. He says, look, they're going forward with the crime. What are we going to do? Do you want me to, uh, like, let this happen? Or do you want me to be, like, interrupt it, stop it? Like, what, what, I don't know how to play this. When do, like, you know, they're, they're totally about to do this. And he's like, Terrell gets this message from the, the lawyer at the courthouse. And he's like, oh, man, they're serious. They're going to do it. They're going to steal Lincoln's body. What should we do? He doesn't know what to do. So then he talks to uh, his boss, Elmer. Elmer doesn't know what to do. And he's like, uh, contact the director in Washington. Telegrams the director in Washington. The director of Secret Service is like, they're going to steal Lincoln's body? Can we let them do that? I don't know. We need a crime to prosecute. So he's like, okay. He contacts Robert Lincoln. Robert Lincoln, the only surviving son of Lincoln, is like, yeah, oh, wow. let him steal dad. So he <laughs> sends a message. And so he gets, Tyrell gets the telegram back, go ahead. Wow. And so he then tells Sweagles, go ahead, let it happen. Now, we'll be back after this break, and I will tell you the wild conclusion of the attempt to steal Lincoln's body. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Matcha. I love matcha. So rich and smooth. Do you love matcha love? Yep. Matcha love is the best in the biz. Experience the vitality of the whole tea leaf. So many powerful health benefits. You know what else I love? Sweet treats. You are in luck. Matcha's great for baking. Can you make cookies or cheesecake with matcha? Yes. Or your other favorites, ice cream or madeleines. Yes. Delicious. Matcha love. Get 25% off all matcha love products on itoen.com. Using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at I-T-O-E-N dot com. Available on Amazon and Itoen dot com. So now we have the crime is set, the plan's in motion, and everybody knows both bad guys and good guys what's about to go down. Go so, ahead. Sweagles. We know most of what happens because of his account to the Chicago Tribune. He tells all of this to a newspaper man. So I will be quoting from this account rather liberally. Okay. Here we go. As Swiggles talking to the Tribune. Quote, I got myself up in their minds, not by praising myself, but my friends, Frenchie the Burglar, Billy Ray, and others. I had a letter from Frenchie who was in Michigan City Penitentiary. They thought I was a first-class man or I would not be known by such men. So that's him bragging on how he got inside, right? Frenchie the burglar. Yo, totally. I like Billy Ray. It's like a little French bulldog. Yeah, (laughs) Frenchie the burglar. So Swiggles, now he's got all their trust. He's like, you know what? I'm going to need some backup because I'm undercover. I need someone watching my six. So he's like, hey, guys, I got the perfect man for us. He can run the wagon. They're like, oh, yeah, we need a wagon man. He's like, yeah. So I quote, Billy Brown, a Waukegan. He is straight, and I knew he could be trusted. He can talk crooked. He had driven a hack, and he learned all the slang. What I said, get him. They wanted to see him. So he's like, now he's got his inside man, Billy Brown from Waukegan. So he gets Jack Hughes and Terrence Mullins to meet Billy Brown. Billy Brown gets approved. And he and Swiggles has told Billy Brown, man, I'm working for undercover for the Secret Service. So now he's brought in somebody else to be his, like, I don't know, outsourced undercover work. He's but like, help he me. He knows all the slang. Yeah, but he's down. He's... <laughs> He is uh, somebody who once worked a hack. <laughs> so now Louis Swiggles has been informing Terrell, his boss, of every move so far and been trying to, like, get him ready. Now, Terrell, in response, he's trying to go to the Secret Service and convince them I need agents. They're going to steal the president's body. They're like, yeah, yeah, you got this, man. <laughs> so he then has to go hire some private detectives. And he hires oh, some Pinkerton detectives. Pinkertons, I knew it. Yes. And so then he calls up his boss. 
boss over now, who is the former chief, because Elmer Washburn has left the Secret Service, and he's now, an, he's just like, kind of like, I don't know, freelancing. So he's got two private Pinkerton detectives and his former boss, and he, then Dudley Do-Right, Patrick Terrell, they go all down to Springfield together to stop the robbery. So now, it's the night of the robbery. Mm. We're in the Oak Ridge Cemetery. Now, I, every time you say this, I think of the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to sing a song go from ahead. I was going to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> anyway, so Terrell and his boys, they go out to the cemetery. They get the lay of the land, and he tells the Pinkertons, you go hide near the tomb in this memorial hall. I'll be out there to join you. And he says, all right, guys, take off your boots. We don't want to leave any footprints in the grass. Total Dudley do-right. Like, this is God. We're going to do this, guys. And they're take like— Take off your boots, and P.S., I have a foot fetish. <laughs> yeah, I just like seeing toes, but don't look <laughs> if I'm staring. <laughs> so now Sweagles, uh, our undercover man— He's got Billy Brown waiting with a wagon down by the gate to the cemetery. At least that's what he's told everyone. There is no Billy Brown. There is no wagon. He just has Billy Brown in town hanging out. He's not doing anything. At a fake bar. Yeah, there's no fast escape waiting for the grave robbers. But they're convinced that there is, right? That's a key part of their plan. So now everything goes into action. It's dark of night. There's a light fog passing over the cemetery. Everything's a little spooky. And Jack Hughes steps out of the darkness. He goes up to the door of the tomb. He sees the lock and he's like, we're going to have to cut that lock. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. luckily they brought a saw. They start using it. But these guys aren't good with tools. They're criminals. So they break the saw about a third of the way through the lock. <laughs> then they have they pull out a nail file and they do the rest of the no. two-thirds of the way. It takes them a half an hour. <laughs> so everyone's hiding there and waiting for them to get through this lock. And they finally get through the lock. They open the tomb door. The body snatchers. They light a match. The darkness is like just kind of receding against the match. And then their eyes are adjusting to the darkness. And in the center of tomb, they see Lincoln's sarcophagus. Marble, beautiful. They're like, oh, man, Terrence Mullins, he gets all excited. He windmills up his axe, ready to smash the sarcophagus. Louis Swiggle stops him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I quote, I said to him, hold on. If we can get the lid off, we can put it on again, and it won't be known that the coffin is gone. He didn't know about that. It might be cemented. So he shoved the edge of the axe under the lid, and it came off easily. There was only plaster of Paris to keep the two lids together. He was like, check out the brains here, man. No need to break You don't need Big Jim Keneally here. He got the Big Jim brains of Louis Swiegel. If they had that much trouble with a padlock. Yeah, right? I'm going to imagine that he's going to, like, hit the marble with the axe. It's going to bounce back violently. In the face, yeah. split his skull. <laughs> so they managed to open the sarcophagus with the axe. They lift out the coffin. They lift it only a foot because the thing weighs about 500 pounds. They're like, why is this thing so heavy? It's made of lead. Oh, yeah. So it's super heavy. So they're like, hey, Sweagles, go grab Billy Brown. We're going to need somebody else. So Just he's to like, keep the bad spirits He's out. like, yeah, yeah, I'll go grab, grab Billy Brown. So he takes off. He runs away from the crypt. And he runs out and he finds where Agent Terrell is hiding. And I quote, I started off. They were gathering up the tools when I left. I went to the foot of the terrace and started toward the road and then took a shoot among the trees and looked around to see they were not following me. When I got a bunch of woods between them and me, I turned sharp to the right and up toward the road leading to the memorial hall. And when I got there, I explained the situation to Terrell and the officers came out and went around the corner. I stayed in the hall. So at this point, he's no longer a good witness. No. Right? No. So Agent Terrell and the two Pinkertons, they rush down to the tomb. The grave robbers are inside. But they get separated in the dark, mm-hmm. right? So now, remember, they're all still shoeless. One of the Pinkertons, <laughs> right. he slips and accidentally fires his old cap and oh ball pistol. Boom! So now the grave robbers hear a gunfire in the distance, or, you know, not too distant, and they cut. They split out of the tomb. Tyrell rushes into the tomb by himself, misses the grave robbers. He's all, like, fired up to catch them, and he runs in. They're gone, and he's like, darn it. And he sees that he's just alone with Lincoln's corpse. And he says this to himself, ah, no fiend is here. 
Total Dudley do right, right? So Agent Terrell then rushes back outside to see if he can catch these would-be thieves. He spots two men moving in the darkness. He's like, ah, oh, they're about 70 feet from him. He takes aim and he fires, right? But he misses his mark. The two dark figures, they turn and they fire back. Boom, boom, boom. Agent Terrell's like, oh, taking cover. Now these two groups, they run around in the dark firing at each other. They take new high ground. They take new low ground. They keep gunfighting back and forth, right? Finally, in the heat of the gunfight, Agent Terrell shouts out to his boss, Elmer, Chief! We have the devils up here! Then he shouts to the Pinkerton detectives to come help them stop the grave robbers. And that's when one of the men Agent Terrell's shouting to yells back from the darkness, Terrell, is that you? What? An uncomfortable moment passes between them. <laughs> that same <laughs> voice shouts out again from the darkness, Terrell, for God's sakes, answer! Is that you shooting at us? Oh, So the God. two groups have just been firing at each other. Cops have been firing at nothing but other cops. Oh. Meanwhile, the body snatchers have totally <laughs> sneaked away into the darkness, gotten away. Now, just for comparison's sakes, yeah. I, went, I checked the Secret Service, uh, the official website, and they have an account of this story. Oh. It's slightly different than what I just read. <laughs> and I quote, On the night of November 7th, 1876, the lawmen at a distance surrounded the tomb and waited in the dark. After almost two hours, the would-be grave robbers appeared and entered the tomb. With crowbars, they managed to move the great stone block that covered the casket. Then a shot rang out. A detective's percussion cap pistol had fired accidentally. Hearing this, the other police figured the robbers were firing at them, so they returned the fire, and for a moment, guns blazed at unseen targets. During the confusion, the criminals escaped. Interesting way of telling that story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just stuff happened. Guns were firing. Just like The guns were firing themselves. The old officer involved shootings of the world. Now, they notice after they leave out that little friendly fire part, we uh, have to get back to the real purpose of the story, which is Lincoln's body, yeah. which is apparently safe because, remember, they only lifted it a foot out and they couldn't actually carry it, and then they cut, right? So now Lincoln's body is just sitting there in the casket, propped up half out of its sarcophagus. And uh, they uh, basically have to escape the scene because there's no way they're going to be able to go back on their own, just the two no. of them, and pull this 500 pounds out. They have no idea where uh, their their man Sweagles is, so, and they have no idea where Billy Brown is. They assume, like, oh, he must have run off in the dark, too, because of the yeah. gunfire, right? Yeah. So at this point, Big Jim Keneally's gang is pretty much given up on stealing Lincoln's body and is now just trying to save their own, Yeah, right? yeah. And Terrence Mullins, Jack Hughes, decide to run back to Chicago, or about as close as they can get to it. And they take off in the dark, and they're crossing farmlands in, I don't know if you think about this, but Illinois farmland after the harvest is pretty much just a barren, yeah. really depressing kind of scene. There's no trolleys working at this time. There's not really much traffic. So they're walking across farmland. And in the morning, eventually, they find this farmer who's going to, like, they pay him to, cook, to make them breakfast. Meanwhile, cut back to the Secret Service agents and the Pinkertons, who are also walking across this same farmland, and they don't run into each other because they walk in the direction of Springfield. Yeah. They make it back to Springfield. They catch a train back to Chicago. They're on the midnight train back to Chicago. They never, ever manage to catch Mullins or Hughes while they're there. Huh. Hughes and Mullins escape after they have their breakfast with the farmer. Jack Hughes is like, I'm going back to the family farm. Takes off, right? And then Bowen's like, I'm going back to the hub. <laughs> he goes right back to his bar. <laughs> to the fake, no. No, that's, the a, real, that's, that's okay. a real one, yeah. And then so Louis Sweagles, he shows up at the hub because 
now he's been tasked by Terrell as, I want to get these guys because they've embarrassed him. So he's demanding that this guy hang out around these guys until they all are all together and he can bust them. So Sweagles is hanging out at the hub pretending like, yeah, man, wasn't that crazy? We all had to run away. And they're like, (laughs) what are you talking? I didn't see you. Like, no, I was right behind you. I heard you guys. You guys just couldn't hear me. Like, yeah, uh uh-huh. So now Jack Hughes finally eventually shows up at the hub because he just can't stay away from the action. He's like, forget the family farm. There's a reason why I left. It's way more fun there. So on November 17th, Agent Terrell walks into the hub. And with him is Elmer Washburn and a Chicago cop. They're there to arrest Terrence Mullins and Jack Hughes. Big Jim Keneally, he's off-site in St. Louis, but he does get charges later on. The trial for these two? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Do you think they're dumb as criminals? Wait till you see them when they are indicted criminals. Oh, no. So they're in court, and Terrence Mullins gets the brave idea, or brilliant idea, rather, to ask people to alibi him. He decides to send letters from jail asking for an alibi, and he tells the people, say this, tell them that. Oh, God. Of course, he doesn't recognize that the letters are opened in red. Yeah. So the letters are intercepted, and then they are read in court. Now, this is one an example of one of the letters. <laughs> he wrote to a dude named William Birdsell. Quote, if you can't prove you took us toward Chestnut, get things fixed solid so you can prove that we stayed with you all night. I think you can do it if you only use your head a little. Hughes has long, thin whiskers of a sandy color, is not very fleshy, about 5'8". Mullins is about 5 feet 7 inches, long mustache, and is rather fleshy. We will secure the money for you. So he's giving them like a witness statement of like, just remember, one's rather fleshy, one's not so fleshy, <laughs> mustache, sandy color. and the guy's What like, is he saying? Use your head a little? Like, oh, yeah. That's a little, all right. So, like, I don't, don't know about rude. you, but I just kind of love the term rather fleshy. Like, you just don't hear people describe themselves like that anymore. Like, oh, what's he like? Yeah, what is Aaron like? He's a little, he could use a little more flesh. You know, honestly, <laughs> not fleshy. <laughs> Doesn't take the jury long. They return the verdict. We all would suspect guilty. They're convicted. They have to do one year each, one day of which is spent in solitary confinement. The rest of the time, hard labor. Huh. So they're taking big rocks, one day and turning the them into small rocks. <laughs> now, this remains the same question after their trial. What do we do with Lincoln's body? Put it somewhere secure? Yes, but there's an interesting little side story, which is once Lincoln's body was out of the sarcophagus, the groundskeeper that I told you about who ran the cemetery, yeah. he springs into action now. Now he's like, oh, now he cares. Let me care. So he grabs five of his friends. They go and they get their shovels and they dig a hole in the crypt and they rebury Lincoln in the crypt and then they hide the evidence of what they've done and they won't tell anybody where they've buried him. And they, the five of them, the five men and him, so I guess the six of them rather, they take an oath of silence and they will not tell anybody where Lincoln's body is buried. They so they tell, did they tell the authorities, yeah, I buried him? Yeah, they just basically go like, oh, yeah, I know where it is. They call themselves Lincoln's Guard of Honor. <laughs> now, this lasts until 1901. No In 1901, way. Robert Lincoln's like, I'm getting old, I'm getting on, uh, I got to you know, take care of Pop. So he's like, dig him up. So yeah, <laughs> he has his dad dug up and he's like, we need to like, you know, make sure that he's never robbed again. So they did, they broke their code of silence. Well, yeah, because he, yeah. Robert Lincoln was the only person who knew. They, that makes they sense. They told him, but everybody okay. else, they refused to tell. So the Lincoln family in Robert Lincoln knew. Now, Robert Lincoln went on to become the president of the Pullman Company. Mm. And the Pullman guy, the president of the Pullman, had himself buried with cement and this metal sleeve. So Robert Lincoln's like, I know what to do with dad. So he gets a metal sleeve and he has the coffin slid into the sleeve. Mm-hmm. He digs a 10 foot deep vault. And then he has the coffin lowered into that vault and he fills it up with concrete. Wow. Yep. Never to be ever disturbed ever again. Huh. Now, but the interesting thing I thought was 
kind of, I don't want to say funny, but interesting, is when they dug up Abe Lincoln, they opened up the casket in 1901. And then they were surprised he looked exactly the way he did when he had died. Because those embalming people on the, like, uh. farewell ghoul tour had <laughs> propped him up with so much embalming fluid yeah. that he was basically just this total statue. They said you could look at his face and still see almost the life in it. Wow. A perfectly mummified face. Just, wow. Yeah, he looked exactly like himself, just dead. Huh. Yeah. So, now... Also, I found out Lincoln was the only president who suffered a gank move. Someone also tried to steal George Washington. What? Yeah. Like, apparently stealing presidents used to be a pastime in America (laughs) that we should bring back. No, but apparently, like, in 1830, there was this plot to body jack George Washington. (laughs) There was this this local doctor who was like, I want a relic of power. I need Washington's skull. And so he goes to this unnamed gardener who apparently worked at the Washington family's plot, and Mm -hmm. he says, steal the skull of George Washington. (laughs) So the guy's like, all right, bet. How much? And so they apparently haggle over the price. The gardener, next time on his ship, he goes into the crypt and he's like, oh, let me see if I can find that skull. Problem <laughs> is that the, the Washington family has been keeping all their bodies above ground because it's so swampy in that yeah, area. Yeah. So they were like, you know, buried like New Orleans style above ground. But uh, they were in wooden caskets and the wooden caskets all rotted. So the bodies have fallen out of the caskets and just a pile of bones oh, on the ground. Dear. He doesn't know what to do. He grabs the wrong skull. Oh, no. So, anyway, that was the plot to steal George Washington. It, too, failed because of criminal idiocy. Yeah. Anyway, the last thing I thought was interesting about this is 1876 part. Mm -hmm. Do you know, remember what happened in 1876 in American politics? No. Rutherford B. Hayes ran for election against Samuel Tilden in the presidential election. Uh And at the end of it, nobody could tell who won. It was like a Bush-Gore moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then there comes the 1877 Hayes Compromise, which says that Hayes can be president if the Republicans end Reconstruction. Yeah. So Yeah, that's all coming back to me. Now, they tried to steal his body the day before Election Day of the presidential election. So they basically tried to steal Lincoln's body, and then what happens, the election occurs, Hayes wins, and then undoes the legacy of Lincoln. All that stuff that people had fought and died for to achieve and to advance gets undercut and undone pretty much by the election of Hayes. Wow. And then we get Jim Crow. And all this is forgotten because nobody knows that they stole Lincoln's body because of this election. The election pretty much consumes the news. So you were able to steal the old president's body and nobody would even know it outside of like the Chicagoland area. Yeah. Because everyone was so busy worried about the election. That's crazy. Out of all of this stuff that happens, the only people who really have a big come up, Mm -hmm. not not Ben Boyd, the money machine, he Mm -hmm. stays in prison, not big Jim Keneally, he eventually faces charges, none of the guys who are the criminals, not even Louis. Louis Swiegel, he doesn't get a come up. Terrell doesn't get a come up. You know who gets the come up? Who's that? The Secret Service. Because they're able to protect the president's dead body, they get dubbed the official protectors of the U.S. president. That's why they went from so they counterfeit, go from counterfeit to money to officially to protecting the other president. Other duties as assigned. Yeah, and wow, and they really didn't do anything. It's just failing up the American way, <laughs> right? Oh my goodness, that's incredible. So, what's our ridiculous takeaway after this fair tale? Um, I think our ridiculous takeaway. Is that I, I'm I'm so stuck on the fact that they find out there's a plot to steal the corpse, and instead of securing the location of the corpse, they do this key, Keystone Cops thing. Yeah, just hide in the dark, shoeless, and then shoot the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yet another reason not to the hubris. Yeah. Like r- r- rather than like let's just go grab these guys and not let this happen. Yeah. They're like let's let it happen and then we'll have a crime. I mean, I suppose they wanted to lure them in 
like an entrapment situation. Yeah, well, they so need then the they crime. Can, yeah, but then they can convict them. Otherwise, they're just... Conspiracy charges and so forth. Or they just thwart the plot, and then they know these guys are going to think of something else to steal. So you might as well set them too. up. Good point. Yeah. My ridiculous takeaway? Yeah. I don't want to be embalmed. <laughs> what did I say? Cremation. Well, yeah. I mean, I think just there's better. other routes between cremation and being embalmed. True. Viking funeral. Yeah, I, that's a well, cool that's one. That's kind of cremation. I'd, I'd want to just be cut in half and just throw half in the ocean and throw half in the forest and let me be sorted out by the animals and the bugs. Okay. okay. Although right. that's illegal. I've asked about law- with lawyers. You can't. It, you, it's apparently toxic waste to dump a body in like a human body well, in yeah. the ocean or in the forest. It's yeah. considered like total toxic waste. Yeah. So I can't do it legally. It'll be my last crime. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. I'm Elizabeth Dutton. Still, I'm always Zarin Burnett. You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. You got a tip for us about a ridiculous crime you'd like to hear about? You want to confess to a ridiculous crime? Email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Bureau Chief of Providence, Dave Couston. Research is by Master Engraver, Marissa Brown. The theme song is by Thomas the Axe Lee and Travis Cap and Ball Dutton. Executive producers are Pinkerton Detectives, Ben Bowen and Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.